and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masach Bavakama, daf mem bet, page 42. So today we're going to focus on Amud Bet, starting on the very bottom of Amud Aleph. We have a breita that talks about the verse that we have been talking about now for at least a day, maybe two. Bal Ashur Naki, right? The, the question of who is... It, whether the owner of the ox would need to pay when the ox would gore a person, you know, depending on the circumstances, kofar, what about if it's a slave, um, etc. So in this case, we've got Rabbi Akiva making a statement, Rabbi Akiva Omer, naki midme evid, meaning if we have an ox that is a, a, a short time, it has never gored before, right? And it kills now, it kills an evid kanani, a Canaanite slave. So the claim here is it's Rabbi Kiva's position that the owner of that ox does not need to pay compensation for the slave unless it was a muad ox. I mean, if it was a muad ox, then the owner needed to be, you know, paying some greater greater amount of discipline or whatever, paying attention to the ox. In this case, he wasn't liable because it wasn't something to be expected. He didn't have to count it. He didn't have to worry about it. V'neba Rabbi Kiva l'nafsheh. But one second, says the Gemara. Rabbi Akiva himself raised an objection. He previously raised an objection against Rabbi Lezer when Rabbi Lezer saw the same verse, right? Namely that you have a short time. If the owner for the short time is exempt from paying the the Deme Kofer, the half of the that Kofer ransom kind of money, right? And so why would the and then there's a whole discussion of why the verse would need to teach that. So the name of Rabbi Kiva and Afshe, we said Rabbi Kiva could ask himself the same question. Right? Meaning, if the compensation, we're talking about compensation for damage, which is caused by the short time, by this, you know, non-forewarned kind of ox, it's going to be paid only from the value of the body of the ox, right? So then the owner could say to the slave's owner, the owner of the ox could say to the owner of the slave, you know, bringing the whole thing to court, and then you'll be paid, you know, according to the way the court adjudicates. The ox is going to get put to death in any case, right? And then the problem is, and there's nothing really from which you can collect the payment, but like the the position of, no, he has no obligation to pay is a little bit different than saying, take it to court and see if there's anything left to pay. I'm Rav Shmuel Bar Yitzchak, so Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yitzchak says that Rabbi Kiva's whole position here applies to a case where the owner of the ox has already taken care of it. It's already slaughtered the ox, meaning it's supposed to be stoned. Now it's been slaughtered. Meaning maybe you want to say that the, or the concern is rather that the slave's owner would want to be paid from that value of the ox but then we also said, right, that the that the verse teaches us that the ox ho'il kamashman. Hang on, ho'il uvar Since that ox is already a dead ox, basically, even though it hasn't yet been put to death, af algav Even though then it is comes to be killed and it's been killed through slaughtering as opposed to stoning, You can't then pay the owner from it because because it's not. This is the this is the limo. This is the way the verse itself teaches us that because the ox was supposed to be killed, then when the owner slaughters it or it be put to death by stoning, it doesn't matter. Regardless, the the owner of the slave 
is not getting any compensation from it. Ihafi says the Gemara, well, if that's the case, then why did Rabbi Akiva raise that same objection against when Rabbi, when Rabbi Lezer interpreted that verse to suggest the possibility that, in fact, you could get paid via the baiting to, to the owner? Rabbi Lezer's case also was, we can understand that to be a case where the owner of the ox slaughters the ox before it ever would come to the court. Hachinami, so likewise here, Visavar, you see, Rabbi Lezer's whole interpretation is explained that way. And then we're going to say that the reason or the rationale that Rabbi Kiva does raise this objection in this case, Dilma itle ta'ameachrina da'adif mehai. He maybe he says maybe Rebelezer had a better explanation than when he said this. And so eventually he's gonna state it. I Meaning it's like Rebbe Kiva's waiting for Rebelezer to come up with you know more explanation. And in fact, he did, right? Meaning if you look back in the Gemara, you'll see it. And also now we're about to see it here. Rebelezer answers him, namely, namely, Rebelezer Nami. Rebelezer also did answer him, namely that the owner slaughtered it first. Right? That specifically that the owner had had already slaughtered the ox. So of course we have both Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Akiva taking the same position but apparently disagreeing with each other and contradicting each other but without an explanation for like as they each go up the level of the discussion it ends up being as if they're in agreement then why are they not agreeing? Um, so the Gemara goes on, right? That Rebbe Lezer could have said, ostensibly to Rebbe Kiva, In the case where Rebbe Lezer gave his explanation, namely that we're talking about an ox that meant to kill an animal, but instead killed a person, that ox was not considered what I called a dead ox. Right? Barkatala means like, already you have a death sentence on your head. So in this case, the ox doesn't, in the case where the ox intended, he was going after another animal, and in place of the animal, by accident, he killed a person. That doesn't really make the ox a barkatala, uh, you know, with a death sentence. Because it might enter your mind to say, oh, he should pay half. What should you have to pay? Or he should have to pay half. You should have to pay half of that kofar from the ox that comes from the value of the ox. Um, okay, so we have that verse, and then that verse comes to exclude the need to pay the half of the kofar, which was what we said at the beginning, right? But in this case, where the ox really did just come and kill a person, it was already got as if it had a death sentence on it. Then you don't need that limud from the verse to teach that in fact, you can't get that, that you know, the value of the ox to pay, right? You, the owner is going to be exempt from paying that half a coal fare, even if he's the one who slaughtered it, because because the ox was already considered a barkatala, as if it was already a dead ox to begin with. So you can't, like, you can't, he, the owner of this evid can't really, of the slave can't really submit for the value of it, because it's as if the ox already had no value. So then, according to Rabbi Kiva, also we should say that the verse is not necessary if, in fact, the owner would come and slaughter the ox, you know, before 
any baiting, any court hands down a judgment. Meaning, again, we're lining up, or the Gemara is lining up, Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Akiva, in such a way that, again, it looks like they really are, you know, contradict each other until you step back and then it seems that they do not. Now we have a next next generation to address this, Ella Amar Rav Asi. Rav Asi says, and he's talking about the position of Rabbi Akiva, and he does not like it. Hi, Milta Umano. He says, I heard the following from a great man. And who was he? Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina. I heard the following from Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Hanina. And this is what he said. Namely, Salka Daita Hamina. It might enter your mind to say or to think, Ho'ilva Amar Rabbi Akiva. Because it's Rabbi Akiva who says it, you know, in the Mishnah, back in the Mishnah. Namely, when you have a person and you have a short time and the the accent has no forewarning, right? And they damage each other. So then, So it says, basically, it's just like this. You have a short time and a person that injure each other or one injures the other. And then you have to pay for whatever is left, so to speak, from of the Nezek Shaleh, meaning the difference between the evaluation of the damage, both of them get hurt, which is hurt more, right? You know, so, so you subtract or you, you kind of get rid of the part that they both were, you know, they were equally, if they were equally harmed, then nobody pays anything, any, anything. But if you get rid of the difference or you find the difference rather between who was hurt worse, and then that's the person who has to, that's the party that has to pay. And the amount that has to pay is the difference between them in the amount of Nezek Shalim. I mean, not, you can't cut it in half in this case. And then, So we should say, well, you should also pay compensation for the slave and from the best part of the property. But we can't say that in the end, says the Gemara. Because the Torah itself says that the owner of that ox is naki, naki meaning no liability. Meaning, so you go through all the logic and the logic says, okay, so you got to pay. And the answer is no, you don't pay because there's an explicit verse that removes that. And the Gemara points out that even without that verse, right? Or rather, he, it's answering Rav Asi. Didn't Rabbi Akiva already break and I like this, you know, this this very vivid imagery. He he broke his fist, right? Meaning on that view. He already was dealing with it. And the point is, you know, that you might think that you have a case of a short time, and you might think that you have to pay for the for the slave's um value. And in the end, the the verse says, No, no, you do not. Meaning it's a an explicit um, inference, I suppose. It's not explicit. It's an inference from the verse that, you know, you would think that you would have to pay restitution, but in the end, you do not. Um, and that's, so that's, you know, again, now we've got Rav Asi and Rabbi Kiva kind of, well, Rav Asi is much later, trying to understand Rabbi Kiva to see if it's going to work. And then we come forward, the, next, the rest of the daft goes on with Rava trying to understand Rabbi Kiva's, again, generational, right? Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Zatana, Rava is the foremost, perhaps most renowned Amora, um, trying to make sense of this. And I would say that for all that this stuff kind of lays it out so neatly and cleanly, it, it, it really is kind of complicated and, and obscure, despite all the words that line up, you know, in order, so to speak. I, I, I feel like the Gemara made perfect sense of it, and I still, 
you know, would say, okay, but that's not kind of clear as mud. Um, I think it's a hard job. I mean, it really goes through very careful, almost nitpicky readings of particular psukim and the halacha that Tanaim get from that reading. Uh, so I, I'll move on here. It's sort of almost a continuation where, you know, they're going to quote here a Brisa that's going to give us a different reading, right? Tanu Rabbanan, Vahamit Ish O Isha. So here we're talking about the Basut that's, uh, again, in this chapter of Shemot, chapter 21. These are verses 29 through 30, uh, which talks about that the ox is stone and its owner could even die. And then Kofar is sensed against him. And then the owner pays that as a redemption for his life, um, and it's assessed against him. But the first part of that passage says, but he meets Ish Oisha, right? The ox kills a man or a woman. So now we're going to have another Rabbi Akiva teaching, right? I'm a Rabbi Akiva. What does this verse come to teach us? If it's to show us that the owner, right, is liable for kofar of a muad animal, right? Remember, you only pay kofar for a muad animal whether for killing a man, you know, for killing a woman, the same as for a man. It, in the previous Pasuk, in verse 28, it already said when an ox scores a man or a woman. So we know all these halachot apply equally to men and women. So why does it have to repeat ish or isha? So rather come to equate a woman with a man and what it is, is with coming to damages awarded them for their injuries. Right. So just as with a man, if he dies before collecting his damages, his uh, his heirs uh, get the um, uh, receive the damage payment, not his wife, actually, interestingly. So, too, with a woman who dies before collecting her damages, it's given to her heirs to her relatives and not to her husband. So the Gemara then says, So does Rabbi Akiva hold that a woman's husband doesn't inherit from her? That's what this bright, the Chiddush of the Brisa is, is that the woman's husband doesn't seem to get any of the damages if she were to pass away. It's her heirs, it's her children. And so we're basically saying, is that is Rabbi Akiva basically saying the husband doesn't inherit from his wife? Bahatanya, didn't we learn in a brisa? And this brisa is going to show that Rabbi Akiva shows that the husband does inherit from her, right? So here he's quoting a pasuk from Bamidbar chapter 27, verse 11. And this is talking about inheritance, right? And what the whole pasuk talks about is if there's no brothers of the father, right? You give his inheritance to his relative who is closest to him and she shall inherit it, Ota. So this is where they basically learn that a woman can inherit if there are no male heirs, right? But because it says, what, so it doesn't just mean that the wife inherits her husband's estate, but it also seems to say of his family. So what this pasuk, this formulation means is, the husband inherits his wife's estate. Divrei Rabbi Akiva. These are the words of Rabbi Akiva. So the, the real point is, is that how could Rabbi Akiva say in this particular case of collecting the damages, if the woman dies, her husband wouldn't inherit it when he clearly feels that the husband is the inheritor. So the Gemara is going to try to explain Rabbi Akiva's uh, halakha here in that price. Amar Reish Lakish, the Reish Lakish says, Lo Amar Ela 
Rabbi Akiva is saying the husband doesn't inherit, right, only when it comes to kofar. Because it's only paid after her death, right? In other words, you're only going to get kofar if, if the person is killed. Right? And therefore, it's sort of like a prospective asset. It's possible that, you know, that asset could come, could happen if she were killed. And the law is that the husband does not take from a prospective asset of his wife's estate as he does from the other assets that she actually possessed. So they make this very, very interesting distinction here. The kofar payment, if an animal gores a person, you're only paying kofar if that person is going to be killed, right? But there's a whole other set of damages that are going to get paid. And so what it's saying here is, is that let's say somebody who like dies later on or doesn't die right away, that's not a known payment that's going to come to that woman, right? To that woman. So therefore it only comes if she were killed and it's going to go to her heirs because this type of, uh, you know, uh, of uh, right? This type of perspective asset, right? Something that can only happen if it's certain, it can't happen during her lifetime, right? It only can happen after her death. Um, that's not something her husband would get. Although her husband would get things that are payable to her while she is alive. Because when she's dead in a way, the Gemara doesn't say this, but I think part of what it is, is like, once she's dead, I think in a way like that marital bond is basically broken. So the Gemara then is going to give us another source that Kofar is only done after the death of the victim, right? My time, what's the reason that Kofar is only done after the death of the person and not earlier? Let's say, let's say, why couldn't you assess Kofar if it's clear the person's going to die from their injuries? And we're saying that, no, it's you have to wait till the person dies. Amar Kla, right? Because the Pesach says, Vehemit isho isha hashor yiskal, im kofer yisha. Because the Pesach specifically says, right, about this mood animal, it killed a man or a woman, right? The ox shall be stoned and even its owner shall die when the kofer shall be assessed against him. So it's very, very clear that kofer can only be paid after the ox is sentenced to death, right? Sorry, Koper can only be paid, right? Just as the ox is only sentenced to death after the actual death of the victim, right? We don't sentence it to death if we think the person is going to die, if the person has to actually die. So Koper also can only be assessed and paid once the person actually dies. I, again, they don't go as far as to say, you know, this whole thing of like a prospective asset, but I think there's something here about that, like, once she dies, like, in a way, they're not connected anymore as husband and wife in the same way. I, I think there's something to it. I'm reading into the Gemara a little bit here. I, I mean, you kind of have to, right? Like, it's an open question that isn't answered in the daf. So, you know, obviously, there's a later subsequent discussion. And, you know, to what extent this is addressed as an open question. But I, I don't think that you I understand why you say you're reading in because it's not in the text meaning that is the definition of reading in. But on the other hand, it it's like a gaping hole as to why this is happening. Right. Like this whole idea of like perspective asset, like it's like it's new. <laughs> like we've never, ever heard of this concept before. Um, and also the divide between them, right? Like, I don't know. It, it, I think I think your suggestion here is is reasonable, whether it's, you know, Historically, 
Hofer gets invoked, they're not actually married anymore. Right, right. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.